0: Well, hello, Oddballs. It's your host, Bobby, And your co-host, Lexi. And this
1: is Oddities Oddities on on Elm Street. Street.
0: So, um, I did want to say a big thank you to everyone who's been keeping up so far. Thank you. If anybody is if if anybody out there is interested (laughs) um we do have a patreon set up and we have merch out there so um there's a few ways to support us and i also kind of wanted to put a feeler out to see like what people thought about maybe us doing listener tales so that's something people are interested in then we can set up an email where they can send
1: those in and then mm. we can read them here. Yeah. That sounds awesome. Yeah. So, I have a quick little listener tales I'm going to insert yes. here. It's very quick. So, this happened probably about a year ago. It was later at night. I went to the gas station. I got out of my car and this guy was just staring at me. He's like, you're very beautiful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I was like, Smile nod. <laughs> Walk into the gas station. Didn't think anything of it. Mm-hmm. Then I like eventually get back in my car and I look over and he's still like in his car looking at me. Um mm-hmm. okay, this is weird. I'm I'm gonna leave. Yeah. So I did. And naturally my next place was McDonald's. <laughs> as one does <laughs> at night. <laughs> that Oreo McFlurry. God, God, she's calling my name. (laughs) But, so I pull up to the little order window (laughs) window thing, yeah. And I roll down my window, and all of a sudden I see this guy, he's parked behind me, (gasps) and he's out of his car like, coming towards me. What? Yes. Yes. What the fuck did he want? You. (laughs) Like... Bro, if this is your way of, like, coming on to someone, you are doing it very wrong. Yeah, what the... Yeah, he was, like, at my back side door when, like, I looked in my mirror and I was like, what in the fuck? And I just, like, hit the gas pedal and got out there. Oh, my God. Yeah. And then I didn't drive right home because I'm like, what if this... Yeah, what if he's following me? Crazy fucker's following me. Yes. That's so scary. Ugh. (sighs) Yeah, not a not a pleasant experience. No. So, always watch your back when you're leaving the gas station.
0: Not only that, but always make sure your doors are locked. Oh, for sure, that's, that's huge. the first thing I do when I sit my butt in my car seat. Yes, is
1: lock the doors. Yes, even I, like after you, because it's easy to forget. Like you go to Meyer. yeah, and you come out, you sit in your car. Make it a habit. Yes,
0: absolutely. Ugh. I see so many videos of people just, like, running errands, and somebody will just hop in their car. Like, what?
1: No. Oh, yeah. that's, that's awful. So, yeah, that's mine. Please give me yours.
0: <laughs> there we go. <laughs> now now you're obligated. <laughs> you have to. So, yeah, and then there's also some things about our topic today that I'm going to be sharing on our patreon page so if you want to go see that i'll have the link posted otherwise oh my god and also i wanted to address real quick if you didn't know we posted two episodes last week Mm. because we fucked the first one up we Mm -hmm. had to redo it okay so we have two episodes if you missed if you're like wait i only saw one well you probably didn't hear the one on monday or the one on Wednesday, whichever one. Also, if you want to see the look of sheer terror on our faces when we thought we were going to die, you can go watch last week's YouTube video.
1: (laughs) Because I thought we were goners. (laughs) It was. I, um, uh, yeah. I, I told some people about that. (laughs) And they're like, why do you Oh, there.
0: <laughs> hey, if I don't have a choice, <laughs> you don't get a choice either. <laughs> yeah, that was... Um, oh, let's, God. let's hope we're not going to have that problem tonight.
1: Mm-mm. But...
0: Mm-mm. So, today, I wanted to... I put you together. up. it, shut I worked up now. Today, I want to continue our unsolved mirror... Mirror, mirror, mirror stories. So, yeah, I, um... Still can't speak English. So this will be part three. And I want to talk about Diatlov Pass. Dun, dun, dun. Hopefully I'm saying that right. There's going to be a lot. This is a mouthful. Yeah. I don't speak Russian. What? Um. So, yeah. This is kind of one of those stories that, like, I always get asked as, since I started doing content creation people always ask me like what's something that doesn't sit with you well and blah 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 like this is one of those stories Mm -hmm. keeps you awake at night yeah all right so let's jump in so let's go back in time 1959 Back in 1959, there was a group of nine very experienced hikers that were trekking through the Ural Mountains, which are located in Russia. And also, it's important to keep this in mind. Russia, back in that time, was still considered part of the Soviet Union. Yeah. All right. So, in January of 1959, this group of hikers was led by a 23-year-old man named Igor Dyatlov. There were seven men and two women, and most of them had attended the Ural Polytechnical Institute, which is a university in Russia. So this group was pretty much made up of young, college-aged kids. Right. And the leader of this group, Igor, he was a radio engineering student. He had assembled the group together with some of his fellow students and his friends, and each member of the group was what they call an experienced grade two hiker with ski tour experience. And grade two. Yeah. This is like a, <clears throat> it's like a universal grading system Interesting. for um, like hikers and climbers and hmm. skiers, stuff like that. But they were all like upon returning from this trip in Diatlov Pass, they were about to receive their grade three certification. Interesting. So, Basically, that means they're really fucking good. <laughs> so, um, the group included again 23 year old Igor Diatlov. This is where it's going to get rocky. Just a fair warning. 21 <laughs> year old Yuri Doroshenko. 20 year old Lyudmila Dubanina. <laughs>
1: Just stay with me now.
0: 23 <laughs> year old Georgie Krivanoshenko. Mm. All right. There's so many
1: so many like letters in these names
0: 24 year old Alexander Kolovatov 22 year old Zenaida Kolomogorova 23 year old Rustem (laughs) Slobodin (laughs) what?
1: I don't mean to make fun of these people's
0: names, but no. I just sound ridiculous saying them.
1: <laughs> that's the only reason why I'm yeah. laughing. And I would be worse.
0: <sighs> yeah. So. This is, um, it's stressing me out. I'm I'm sweating here. 23-year-old Nikolai Debu Brignoles, 38-year-old Saman Zolotaryov, and 21-year-old Yuri Yudin. Hmm. Oh, thank God that's over. So, you do we, got, that. we got this. All right. All right, so they all arrived by train to a town called Ivdel in the morning hours of January 25th. They then took a truck to a small village called Vizhai. I should have looked up the pronunciations, but I would still probably fuck them up. So that's even more embarrassing. (laughs) So when arriving (laughs) there, they ate loaves of bread to work up some energy for the next day's hike. And on January 27th, they set off on their expedition. But on the next day, the 28th, Yuri Yudin began suffering from knee pain, so he decided to turn around. And that's a decision that probably saved his life. Well, it most definitely saved his life. for real did. So the remaining nine hikers are continuing this trek through the Siberian wilderness. So their goal was to reach Mount Ortortin by hiking and skiing over 200 miles.
1: The mountain of death.
0: Yeah. Of the dead. Yeah. Excuse me. And like you mentioned, or Torton in the local language, Monsi language, literally means don't go there. Um, I think the peak is called the mountain of death. Mm. But I kind not getting that right. Mountain of the dead. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, it means don't go there in Monsi language. Along the way, they're taking lots of pictures and keeping a diary. And when these items were found it made it possible to track the group's route up until the 31st of January. They already had a trail set out for them, so literally all they had to do was follow it. And according to their diary, everything seemed to be going really well. They did mention a little bit, like, how shitty the weather was, and they talked a little bit about the trail conditions, but for the most part, they were mainly just talking about how much fun they were having. So, Nothing super concerning comes up at all in their diary passages. They also created their own little newspaper that they called The Evening or Torton." It was kind of like a satire newspaper where they would just have fun with some of the things happening while they were out there and, like, write down their inside jokes. And That's adorable. I think it's, it's cute because they're, like, it trying is. to keep track of – it's like a memento. You know, like a keepsake, something they can look back on. Yeah,
1: that's like, it's a, such a good idea.
0: Yeah. But what is kind of creepy is the last newspaper entry that they had written had a section in it that said, okay, there's there's been multiple different things that I came across. The first thing I saw was um, that they said, we now know that the snowmen exist. But the other thing I saw was a little bit more lengthy, and it said, In recent years, there's been a heated debate about the existence of Yeti. According to recent reports, Yeti lives in the northern Ural near Mount Ortorton. So, and obviously, like, I don't know exactly which one it is because it's a translation. I don't read yes. Russian. So, it could be either one of those things, but they're obviously talking about something... There. Snowmany. <laughs> Snowmany, yeah. Yeti, man. So on the 31st of January, the group arrived to the edge of a highland area, and it was there that they were preparing to climb. They left a surplus of food and some of their equipment behind in a wooded area that they planned on using for their hike back. The next day, on February 1st, they started moving through the pass. Their plan was to get through this pass and make camp on the opposite side the next night. But due to worsening weather conditions, they lost their direction and went a little too far west. So they ended up around the top of another mountain that I cannot pronounce. (laughs) But the translation is the Mountain of Death or Dead Mountain, which sounds like a lovely place to go. But I guess at this point, they started to realize that they were a little off on their planned path, but they decided to just set up camp on the slope of Dead Mountain instead of moving back down to the wooded area, which probably would have been a better idea because it would have shielded them from any harsh weather, Um, but that forested area was just under a mile back down the slope, like, literally 0.93 miles. So... They were only a mile away from the woods, and the guy who had left their hike early on, Mm -hmm. Yuri Yudin, he speculated that the leader of the group, Igor, probably didn't want to either, one, lose the altitude that they had already gained, Mm
1: -hmm. like, their
0: progress, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: or he just decided that he wanted some practice camping on the slope of a mountain, and he thought, well, now's a good time on Death Mountain. That makes sense. (laughs) So Igor Dyatlov had agreed to send a telegram to their sports club as soon as the group returned back to that village that they had started mm-hmm. in. And that telegram was expected to come no later than February 12th. But before Yuri Yudin left the group, Igor had... i <laughs> was so loud. <laughs> I just cracked my finger. I'm sorry. <laughs> Igor told him that he expected the telegram to take some more time going through. Mm-hmm. So when the 12th had passed and they still didn't get a message from them, they didn't really think much of it because Yuri was like, well, he told me it'd probably be delayed and here here it is, so they're probably fine. But on the 20th, some of the hikers' relatives and their friends started to get worried, so they demanded a rescue operation. This group of search and rescue people mainly consisted of volunteers, students, and teachers, but it wasn't until February 26th that their abandoned camp was finally found. And after this, the army and the police force got involved and used planes and helicopters to help locate the missing hikers. So some of the things that they left behind were kind of bizarre. A student had found their tent. It was half torn down and covered with a little bit of snow, Mm -hmm. but all of their belongings and most of their shoes were left behind inside of the tent. They then noticed that the tent had been cut open from the inside, not just like cut like precisely, but it was like shredded open from the inside. So whatever happened, they were like absolutely frantic to get out of this tent. Like, instead of just unzipping it, they, like, rip it open with their hands. So, after escaping their tents, it seemed like they all ran in different directions. Nine different sets of footprints could be seen in the snow. Some of the prints were shown only wearing socks or one shoe, or some of them were even barefoot, which is insane considering the temperatures like, the average temperatures in this area. So it just kind of makes you wonder, like, what scared them so badly that they decide, like, their most logical choice in that moment is to go out in the freezing cold with, with no shoes, shoes on, on. no right. gear. Like, these are, we're talking about, like, experienced grade two. hikers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, grade two hikers.
1: Yeah.
0: And we're talking about, like, negative 20, negative 25 degrees.
1: Plus wind chill. Yeah, they're on a mountain,
0: you know? It's worth noting that they've also, like, taken survivalist training. They would have known that this is a death sentence because of hypothermia. Right. So they obviously must have been scared for their lives to think this was a good idea in the first place and must have genuinely believed that running into the snow barefoot could be their only chance of survival in that moment. Like, we either take the time to put our gear and our shoes on or we run with the hope that maybe we'll make it out. So that in itself is already, like...
1: Like, that has to be something huge. Yeah. Like, don't catch me outside with (laughs) my socks on in the winter. Right. It's... For anything. Yeah. uh, I don't know. I feel like your toes would just break off.
0: I know. The first two bodies were discovered down the mountain by the edge of that forest, which was just under a mile away. The bodies found in this area were the bodies of Georgi Krivanoshenko and Yuri Doroshenko. They were laying side by side. And these two men were only in their underwear. Nothing else, just their underwear. They were found laying under a tree. Underneath Yuri Doroshenko, were branches of the cedar tree that they were found lying beneath. This cedar tree had branches broken up to five meters high, which is 16 feet. Jeez. So investigators believed that what this suggests is that Doroshenko had climbed up the tree either to escape something or to try locating their campsite. And The reason they believe that is because the branches, like it wasn't just wind or heavy snow because investigators had actually found remnants of DNA embedded into the bark. He found his skin and his blood and his hands were raw and bloody. So it was pretty clear that he was frantically trying to get up this tree, but we don't exactly know why. We don't know. I mean, there's a lot of whys in this case.
1: (laughs) And that's why we're talking about it. Yeah,
0: that's why it's an unsolved mystery. So, Um, but yeah, so what's strange about this, though, is that underneath that tree are remnants of a fire. Which, again, it's like, where did this fire come from? Did you see any theories on that? No. Because I have yet to see any explanation about why a fire was started at all.
1: I mean, they're in their undies. I'm sure they're cold. But you
0: don't you don't have time to put your clothes on. But you have time to build a fire.
1: Well, I right. I feel like whatever scared them away, they had to get away extremely fast. And then I don't know if they and then just... try and survive after that. Right. It's like I don't like. What would you do? I. I don't know. I don't know either.
0: And just, yeah, I it it's just doesn't make sense. Odd. odd. Um, they also commented that it looked like other people had been by the fire because the snow around it was packed down. There were fir branches stacked next to the fire that had been cut with a knife, but they never found any knives with any of the bodies. That's weird. They also found various garments next to the fire rather than on the bodies, but they didn't find any other bodies other than Doroshenko and Krivanoshenko at that time. Mm -hmm. They also said that it seemed like the fire had been going for about an hour, hour and a half, just by looking at how burned through the branches were. And the garments that were found around the fire were several different types of socks, a woman's burnt handkerchief, and some fragments of wool clothes, but there were no, like, full pieces of clothing found. So maybe they burnt some of the clothing. But then again, like, kind of like you said, why would you take clothes off from your body to burn them in a fire? Fire can go out. The clothes stay on your body. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, it, it just doesn't
1: make sense. It's very. But, like, how straight are you thinking at that point?
0: I Well, yeah, we don't know what's happened to them. But what's also weird is that Doroshenko, his hair was burnt on the right side of his head and his foot was burnt. He also had what they call pulmonary edema and pulmonary contusion, which are basically like conditions where the lungs are filled up with fluid because of blunt force trauma to the chest. His ears, his lips and his nose were all covered in blood and he had a gray foamy liquid coming out of his mouth. Krivonoschenko was found lying next to Doroshenko. He had this. Oh my god! He bit off a piece of his own knuckle. And they re- the reason they know that he did that, and that it wasn't an animal. Teeth. It was still in his mouth. <gasps> yeah. So they were trying to figure out why would he have done this.
1: Oh.
0: They speculated that he. He either did it to stay awake or to, like, stifle a cry. You know, like, if you're in extreme (sighs) agonizing pain, they, like, you know how they'll, like, give you, like, a leather belt or something to Uh bite down on? So they think it might have been a case like that where he was just in so much pain that he had done it to himself.
1: Oh, my gosh.
0: But he also had third-degree burns on his left leg and his left foot. He had blood in between his fingers, his index finger was torn, the skin on his left shin was torn off, and Doroshenko was found lying face down and Krivnoshenko was face up. What's weird about this, though, is that Doroshenko's body, they realized, was found in a different position than the position he would have died in. And the way that they're able to figure that out is because of something called liver mortis. Mm -hmm. There's, like, different stages to whatever. so Like blood settling? Exactly. Liver mortis is the gravitational pooling of blood. And they're able to see that post-mortem in, like, a discoloration of the skin, like a reddish-purple tint. So, in Doroshenko's case, he probably died laying face up, but he was flipped down post-mortem. Weird. And... They saw during his autopsy that the blood was pooling in his back, which suggests that he died lying on his back. Right. Basically, this... I mean, it's its kind of confusing, but it basically just means that his body was moved after his blood had stopped circulating. I will be posting... I'm not going to post the crime scene photos.
1: Unless you want it.
0: No. <laughs> no. I'm not responsible for the damage. <laughs> no, I'll be posting... <clears throat> um like, the autopsy reports that show the graph of, it's nothing graphic, like, I'm not going to show pictures of their dead bodies, but it'll show the graph of, like, things that are labeled on their body of, Mm
1: -hmm. you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, their injuries and, yeah. Uh
0: So, that will be posted on our Patreon if you want to see what that is all about. With Doroshenko, He had such bad frostbite that they said if he would have survived, he would have had to get all of his fingers and toes amputated. And um, what's so frustrating about this is they rule his death as hypothermia. But when they did the autopsy, they said it couldn't have been hypothermia. Because, so I guess when you're, like, dying of hypothermia, the volume of urine inside of your bladder is... Much bigger than it's supposed to be. And I'm, I mean, I'm not a medical examiner, but I'm assuming it's probably like your body's last ditch effort to try and preserve heat or something. I don't know. But I guess the amount of urine in his body was much smaller than it would have been if he would have died of hypothermia. This kind of tells them that his body was still making efforts to fight off freezing to death. Due to the pulmonary issues that he had, Doroshenko's death was most likely due to someone or something pressing his chest cavity.
1: And, um... Uh, because you can see. <clears throat> I know that you're not going to share them, but if you want to look at pictures, you can see how sunken in his chest is. Yeah. Right?
0: Yeah, and it's, um, like, that couldn't have happened just from falling from a tree either. no. no. Like... It's, it's a very traumatic injury, but all of those findings were essentially ignored. And in the final papers, they listed that his cause of death was hypothermia. Krivanoshenko had frostbitten ears. The tip of his nose was missing. Now that can also be from frostbite, um, but his cause of death was also ruled hypothermia. So on February 27th, they also find Igor Dyatlov. He was almost a thousand feet away from the cedar tree where the other two had been found. And he was face up as well, um, but above the snow, only his hands were visible. He was wearing a jacket, but it was unbuttoned, which is unusual for someone that is suspected to have died from hypothermia. I mean, you don't unbutton your jacket if you're freezing to death. (laughs) just doesn't make
1: logical sense it doesn't but there are those cases of um
0: like paradoxical undressing yes
1: see a lot of people speculated that and I could see
0: where that might be a case like paradoxical paradoxical undressing is basically like when you're suffering from hypothermia I guess your brain basically tells you that you're actually heating up and so you start undressing but that doesn't explain the traumatic injuries. So, yeah, Igor, he also had no shoes, but he had one sock. Um, well, he had one cotton sock on his left foot and a wool sock on his right. He was also wearing a watch, and that watch stopped working at exactly 5.31 a.m. Interesting. Yeah. And Igor, like most of the other hikers, had abrasions all over his body He had no internal injuries, but he was vomiting blood. So that's kind of strange. But his death, again, was ultimately ruled hypothermia. And something that's also very sad is that he had a picture of Zeneda Kolmogorov in his pocket because they were dating. And she was also found on the 27th. So her and Igor were found on the same day. They weren't together. She was over 2,000 feet from the cedar tree, and she was face down. She was a lot better dressed than the rest of the group that they had found so far. She had two hats on, a long-sleeve undershirt, a sweater, a checkered shirt, another sweater, and that one had the right arm torn off. Hmm. She was also wearing... um Cotton pants, trousers, ski pants that had holes in them, and three pairs of socks, but she also had no shoes on. She had abrasions all over her body, too, and had a jagged-edged wound on the back of her right hand. She was given a medical examination post-mortem to check to see if she was possibly um, sexually assaulted, mm-hmm. but the exam showed that she wasn't. And i am I mean, the reason they do that is to check for possible... Motive, Mm -hmm. right? Right. Um, But strangely enough, with her, she did have a baton-shaped bruise on her waist. What? Yeah. No idea where that would have came from. But she also had a small amount of urine remaining in her bladder, but her death was still ruled hypothermia. But it was hypothermia due to a violent accident, and there's no other explanation for what that means. No clue. Due to a... A violent accident. uh, So it's almost like a violent accident happened and she was still alive, so she died by freezing to death, ultimately. Like, is that what that means?
1: But then why was it, like, wouldn't that be for everyone else, too? I don't don't know.
0: know. This seems to... The thing about this that is really confusing, though, is this... It's very obvious that this is not just, like, one swift event. You know what I mean? One thing that happened super quick and it took everybody out. Mm-hmm. There's no way. Just the difference in their injuries, the different places that they were found. It just, ugh. It's so unknown. I know. And it, it's crazy with how much information they do have. It's crazy that there's still no explanation that makes sense. Right. Like, people have come up with so many theories, but nothing has ever, nobody's ever said this is positively what happened, and that just blows my mind. The rest of the bodies weren't found until March, and the first one was Rustem Slobodin on March 5th. He was found about 1,500 feet away from the cedar tree. If you notice, they kind of use the cedar tree as a reference Uh Because that's where they found the first set of bodies. So Slobodin was also purposefully placed down, but he was dressed better than the previous hikers that they found in February. He wore a long-sleeve undershirt with another shirt over it, a sweater, two pairs of pants, four pairs of socks, and one boot. He was also wearing a a watch, and that stopped at 8.45 a.m., The insoles to his shoes were found on his chest underneath his sweater. What? Like, what is... What is that all about? I did not see that
1: anywhere. That is very strange.
0: Yeah. So, him, like everyone else, had a lot of bruising and abrasions. He also had injuries to his knuckles that were consistent with someone who had just gotten in a (laughs) fistfight. But... He also had a skull fracture and hemorrhaging, and the fracture that he had was speculated to have been done with a blunt object, and his autopsy kind of revealed that once he was hit with this blunt object, he probably suffered, like, a loss of coordination due to, like, just the shock of getting hit in the head, and that could have ultimately sped up his cause of death of hypothermia. So, they, again, ruled that as hypothermia. But his injury pattern is, like, kind of the opposite of what we would normally see with someone freezing to death. Because if he had suffered the skull fracture from a fall, they said he would have had to have falled over and over. Falled?
1: (laughs) I wasn't going to (laughs) say
0: He would have had to have fell over and over again on just one side of his head. So, it's not believed that, like, he could have been in a ski accident or anything like that. But by this point, search and rescue is now located five out of the nine hikers, but it would be two more months before they found the remaining four. And at this point, it's now May. But to my surprise, like, there's still a lot of snow. (laughs) So, (laughs) now in May, a local man was out for a walk with his dog when he noticed some branches that were cut and laid on the ground and Mm. were kind of forming a pathway. And about 165 feet from that cedar tree, where the first two bodies were found, this local man found something else, a pair of black sweatpants with the right leg appearing that it had been cut off with a knife, which remember they never found a knife. So he finds the sweatpants and then a little further up this path was the left half of a woman's sweater and the right half of the sleeves were cut off. It's also worth noting that this area had already been searched when they'd found the other bodies, but they never found any of the clothing that they're talking about. So at this point, investigators are called back in and this is when they find the den. So the den was created from cedar branches and they assumed that this was probably made by the surviving four members. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: It was about 250 feet from the cedar tree. So, honestly, not very far from where the first two had... I don't know if they died there because one of them was flipped over, but where the first two were found. Mm -hmm. They built this den in a ravine, and that would have kind of protected them from the cold wind. Because, again, like I said, these were survivalists... They knew what they were doing. Right. They had, like, put the cedar logs up against the snow to get them off from the cold ground. Like, they knew what they were doing. And it was pretty clear that they understood the danger that they were in. And that they believed that this den would have given them their best chance of survival. So, on the day that they find the den, mm-hmm. they find the remaining four hikers. Liadmila Dubenina was found on her knees with her head and her chest pressed into a huge boulder. But her face was turned to the side and her mouth was wide open. Gosh. It's like, it's incredibly haunting. Yeah. And if that's not bad enough, her eye sockets were empty. So, her eyeballs were missing. Yes. And so was her tongue.
1: Mm -hmm. I was waiting for her. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: She honestly, it seems like suffered the most. Like her injuries are unimaginable. The bridge of her nose was completely flattened. Her upper lip was missing. Her teeth and her upper jaw were exposed. And at first, when I read that, I thought it was probably from decomposition. But you have to remember, it's like negative 20 degrees. I mean, it's May now, so it's probably a little bit warmer. But it's, but it's still... still the equivalent of somebody being kept in a freezer. Right. They still have feet of snow. um, And they're buried underneath it. She also had 10 broken ribs. So with these findings, a lot of people automatically speculate that her eyeballs her tongue all of that stuff because they're soft tissue that an animal must have eaten them but when her autopsy was performed they could see that she had like a mass of um what is it called like coagulated
1: a bunch of blood in her stomach yeah yeah
0: Yeah, she had like a mass of like this dark brown mucus in her stomach and they they said that that's an indication that her heart was still beating and her blood was still flowing
1: when, when her, her tongue. tongue was
0: ripped out of her mouth. And it wasn't just a case of her biting her own tongue off, because I thought maybe that's what happened too. her tongue was ripped out at the root. Oh. Which is oh my God. absolutely horrifying to think about. So wow. Wow, 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 wow. her cause of death was stated as a hemorrhage in the right atrium of the heart, multiple fractured ribs, and internal bleeding. And when they performed the autopsy, she was also not sexually assaulted. Um, and, I mean, nobody in the group was. None of the girls or the men were raped.
1: That's
0: good. So, Alexander Kolvatov in the... Semyon Zolotaryov were found embracing each other, almost like um, they were like kind of spooning, almost like um, Semyon was either protecting or keeping Alexander warm. But when Semyon was found, he had two hats, a scarf, a long sleeve, a sweater, a coat, but the buttons were Unbuttoned, So it seemed pretty clear that he didn't die from being cold. He was also wearing two pairs of pants and a pair of ski pants over them. And then um, he was, this is so strange. He was also found with a camera around his neck uh. and he was holding on, he was holding a pen in one hand and a small notepad in the other, but he died before he could write anything down.
1: How wild is that?
0: when Yuri Yudin, the surviving member of the group, the one who turned around at the beginning, when he had heard about this, he was in total shock because he was pretty positive that the group had only brought four cameras with them and all four of those cameras were found in the tents. So when he found out that Sam was found with this camera strapped on his dead body. He was... He kind of thought that he had been keeping the second camera a secret and it was also... He thought it was really strange that he would take his camera with him while fleeing from his tent. So I wonder... I mean, I wonder if he went back for it, but if he did, then why leave the other four cameras? I don't... I don't get it. Yeah, and I guess, like, he had been taking pictures the entire time With one of his cameras, but that was the camera that was found in the tent. So, nobody had any idea that he had the second camera. We don't really know what that was all about because investigators said the film was damaged by water. Also, just a little side note that Yuri Yudin also testified that Alexander kept a personal diary that he wrote in every single day. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And he said that he knew for sure that Alexander had it in his pack when he left that little village, but his diary has never been found. But yeah, that's weird to think about because you would think it'd either be at the campsite or on one of their bodies, but they haven't been able to find any of those. So the only reason we know about the pen and paper is because the person who found their bodies reported that. Otherwise, we'd probably never know about it because the colonel who showed up on the scene I guess when he saw that, he grabbed the notepad from Samian's frozen hand. He looked at it and he cursed and he said, he's written nothing. And then the notebook was never filed into evidence and it was never seen again by anyone else. A little suspicious. Samian and Dubonina kind of had an interesting pattern of injuries. They weren't the ones that were holding each other. It was Samian and Alexander holding each other. Dubonina was the woman that was found without her tongue. Mm -hmm. So their wounds are pretty similar in direction and force, even though they have like a completely different body composition. They both had hemorrhaging in their cardiac muscle, and they were both missing their eyes and their eyebrows and had exposed bone in their face. Samyan was the one whose chest was completely caved in. Mm. It's so strange to see because it looks so, like, inhuman. It's, like, deflated. It's, there's, I can't even describe it. And the way that the autopsy technician described it is that of being similar to the type of trauma that one would sustain from the shockwave of a bomb. They believe that Dubenina would have probably died about 10 to 20 minutes after... Whatever happened to her had taken place. So she was probably fully conscious when it happened. And obviously, we do know that, like, she was still alive when her tongue was ripped out. But whether she was conscious or not, we don't right. know. So Alexander was also well insulated, but he was missing his hat and his shoes, and his jacket was also unzipped. His jacket had damage done to it, like a big hole in one of the sleeves and some some more burn marks which is like where are these burn marks coming from i don't know his socks also had burns on them and some of his clothing had also tested positive for radioactivity which we'll get into a little bit later but um, alexander's injuries consisted of a missing eyebrow exposed skull bones a broken nose an open wound behind his ear and a deformed neck but there's no (sighs) more explanation of those injuries
1: Deformed neck,
0: the I, hate that. I know, me too. <sighs> the broken nose, the wounds, and the deformed neck kind of look like they was res- it was like the result of a fight, and they never really explain his cause of death, so we're kind of left guessing. But I did see an article that said that having your neck snapped in like a blow behind the ear is. Kind of like a typical thing when someone is killed by military forces. Yep. But obviously, like, there's no way to confirm that. (laughs) So the last victim that was found was Nikolai Thabu Brignoli. Him and Samyun seemed to be much better prepared than the rest of the group. So it's speculated that maybe the two of them were already outside of the tent when whatever happened happened. Um, because they had plenty of layer on layers on and they were also wearing their boots. So Nikolai had two watches on his left arm. One had stopped at 814 and the other at 839. Weird. He didn't have a ton of injuries, but he did have multiple skull fractures. He had a bruise on his upper lip and hemorrhaging on his forearm. But it just from the fractures, it was pretty clear that he couldn't have died from like taking a small fall because the way the the fracture was splintered off in so many different directions they said it was comparable to him being hit by a car going at like a crazy high speed in his situation obviously he wasn't hit by a car it means he would have probably had to have been thrown against rocks or ice like multiple times to fracture his skull that way so yeah that's all the the deaths, that's, that was really heavy.
1: <laughs> and just so strange, too.
0: Yeah. It's so weird that none of them are consistent with each other. And right. that's why I mean. There's no way that this was just one uniform single event that right. just came and wiped everybody out at the same time.
1: Right.
0: <sighs> just drives me nuts. So we're going to talk about some of the theories mm-hmm. of this case. Obviously, the hypothermia, because that was written on almost all of their death reports. But another theory was that of a possible avalanche. And actually, just recently, in 2019, the Russian authorities announced that they were going to revisit the incident. Mm -hmm. But their plan was never to investigate it as a crime, but only as a possible avalanche. Which, in my mind, is kind of like a little biased, Mm -hmm. because you're just trying to prove that this one theory theory exists. Yeah. So the following year, so in 2020, they ruled that the hikers' deaths were a combination of an avalanche and poor visibility. Also in early 2021, there was new research published in the journal Communications, Earth, and Environment. Okay. They used an advanced computer system to create a simulation mm-hmm. of an avalanche. And what's funny about this is that um, they actually came up with this idea because they were watching Frozen. Like, the Disney movie one day. And they're like, hmm, I think they're on to something. So oh my God. this guy, like, reached out to the creators of Frozen because he wanted them to, like, give them his animation code or whatever. Because he's just so impressed with, like their depiction of snow in this movie. <laughs> so
1: <laughs> we to go frozen. Yeah.
0: There's a little fun fact, but yeah. So with this simulation, they thought that they could have possibly cracked the code or at least given more credibility to this avalanche theory, but the explanation didn't really satisfy the public mm-hmm. because for one, there was never any physical trace of an avalanche found by the rescuers. Also, the nine-hour gap between the remaining hikers building their camp, the, the, the den, den. Yeah. yeah, their campsite and their bodies were only covered in a really shallow layer of snow. Like, it was shallow enough to be found by the rescuers almost, what, a month after they had disappeared. Whereas if it were really an avalanche, like, they would have been completely buried. The other thing is like looking at the injuries that they have they're all super traumatic which usually in the case of an avalanche people most commonly die from asphyxiation mm. or suffocation right so throw that theory out it's trash i don't believe i don't believe it for a
1: second what about a slab avalanche
0: still don't believe it for a second
1: <gasps> okay i just Bloody don't hi- i just i mean i don't know because i was seeing that like the slab doesn't yeah. leave any evidence
0: yeah i saw that so i still just don't i don't think it's like
1: it's very it's like okay that explains like why they would potentially leave without
0: yeah like the if they hear gear, it in the middle of the night
1: but then like
0: your eyeballs are gone Right, that's what I was going to say, is it still the, it's still just not consistent random, with the yeah. injuries. Like, there's, exactly, there's just so many random things that don't make
1: sense. Yeah, but that's just what I saw, like, that most people were like, yeah, yeah it's just a slab. Yeah.
0: The, the other thing, too, and we'll get to this a little bit later, is that there were other people in the area during this time. So we'll talk about that. Okay, I'm ready. Yeah. So, but you'll see why it just doesn't make sense.
1: I mean, it doesn't make sense to me, but that's yeah. just.
0: That's the, that's the most common, like, oh, okay. What is it?
1: Yeah. Occam's razor.
0: Yeah. I guess the initial theory was that the indigenous people in that area, the Monsi people. Right. Attacked them mm-hmm. for being on their sacred land. Um. So, investigators did pull several of them for interrogations, but it can't, it just, again, can't be logically explained. Mostly because even the autopsy reports tell you their injuries are so inconsistent with anything that a human would ever be physically capable of doing. And also, when the rescuers first arrived and located their tent, they could very clearly see nine sets of footprints. So where, right. So things just don't add up with that. Scratch that off the list. This next one though. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So obviously with this, it's kind of hard to know like the importance of some of the details we do have. Mm -hmm. Like for example, the newspaper,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: like We now know the snowmen are real, okay? Yep. Does it mean something? Is it an inside joke? Like, we don't... We We don't don't know. know. We probably will never know. Right. So, this theory, though, I feel like has a little bit more hard evidence behind it because of something they found on one of their cameras. So, one of the pictures from the camera shows a very big, very strange creature peeking at them from behind a tree. Why are you smiling at me like that?
1: <laughs> what? <laughs> the yeti? Yes! <laughs> Do you believe in yetis? <laughs> Do I believe in yetis? <laughs> Do you bl-
0: okay, if you believe in Bigfoot, you have to believe in yetis.
1: I don't know what I believe in. I don't know who <laughs> I am. I don't know. I mean, I think it'd be pretty cool, but... I think it'd be pretty fucking scary, bro.
0: <laughs> Never going in the woods again. Anyways, so... I don't know. I'll post the Yeti picture on my Instagram, but it legit, like... I'm telling you, it's a Yeti.
1: I've seen it. You uh, saw the know. picture? Yeah. I'll look it up again. It looks like... Because I, I A heard... big-ass
0: winter gorilla. Right. Um... <clears throat> Well how do you explain it? It sounds know, like they like brought a, a costume roller. out there. <laughs>
1: I don't know. But I've people are like, it just it's obviously a person. Like about that photo and I'm like, You think it's a person? I don't think so.
0: Yeah, I don't I don't know. I, it seems kinda of convincing to me, but I'm also a little bit gullible. So I guess the <clears throat> I guess the viewers will just have to let us know, I don't know. what they so The thing about the Yeti, though, that gets me, the local people, the Monsi tribe, they have a kind of creature that they believe in. And it's called a mink. And it's pretty much equivalent to what we would call a Yeti or, um... Like Bigfoot? An abominable snowman or whatever. yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I think the translation is something like forest giant.
1: Interesting. So
0: they're just, like, super big, aggressive beasts that are said to live in the Ural Mountains.
1: It called a mink?
0: A mink, like with an E.
1: I guess
0: a group of reindeer had just been attacked weeks prior to this whole incident happening, and the Monsi people blamed it on a mink.
1: Interesting.
0: Yeah. Something else that kind of goes along with this whole idea of what about the yeti is I... While I was doing research on this, I was listening to another podcast, and they brought up the fact that the American Embassy in Nepal, where Mount Everest is, Mm -hmm. I guess they sent a document to the Department of State in D.C., and this document was titled, Regulations Covering Mountain Climbing Expeditions in Nepal Relating to Yeti. (laughs) What? And in this document there's three regulations listed that climbers should abide by if they encounter a yeti. So this isn't just like a hoax document. This is our government talking, okay? Well, they're what's literally
1: the
0: acknowledging, well, yeah. <laughs> but they're acknowledging their existence. But what's crazier is that the date on the document is December 20th, 1959. The same year of the Diatlov Pass incident, it's a little incriminating to the Yeti, if you ask me. <laughs> if if I may say so myself, so Yeti needs to be brought in for questioning.
1: That is interesting.
0: Yeah, and then um, another one of our theories is that, and I think this one is a little bit. I could see. I could see this. Okay, a lot of people think could have been the works of an experimental military weapon Mm -hmm. and Yuri Yudin the surviving member even supports this theory he believes that the hikers may have accidentally stumbled upon some type of like covert testing ground and that they were kind of eliminated as a result of that right so Yuri thinks that that's probably what happened because one um the investigation was super hurried and very secretive like the mountain was closed for three years after this happened three years after they found and located all their bodies they closed down the mountain
1: but the investigation was
0: but the investigation was closed super weird They weren't... They didn't close it down to continue doing any more investigation. There were never any documents released containing information about the condition of their internal... Internal organs. Mm -hmm. And all of the files at that time were sent to a secret archive. The negatives from one of the camera was kept in a private archive. So everything around it's just super, like, hush-hush, you know?
1: Right. I wonder... If it was some sort of experiment, that that's how, like, some of the burns came about. Yeah.
0: Well, in I guess Yuri, he was brought to the location to help identify some of the items that were left behind. Mm-hmm. And while he was looking at the items, he saw a torn piece of fabric that he said looked like it came from a soldier's uniform. And he said that that was definitely not with them previously. He also found a pair of glasses and a pair of skis that he said didn't belong to any of the members of the group. How weird. But yeah, so Yuri also testified that he saw some documents that stated that the investigation had actually begun two weeks before the official discovery of the camp. So
1: they already knew
0: two weeks in advance.
1: I heard that was like just a typo. You think so? Uh, That's, that is what... I didn't see that. In the documentary, that's what it said. Mm -hmm. But I don't know freaking anything to be, like, set in stone as truth for this.
0: Um, But yeah, I guess, like, some people that have looked into this, they think that with the extent of their injuries, it's possible that they were testing some type of, like, like, some type of infrasound weapon, like, pretty much sounds that are played at such a high or such a low pitch that it can cause, like, major distress in people.
1: Yeah. What is, I think, the catatonic uh, sound waves?
0: Mm -hmm. And yeah, I mean, we know about this stuff because it's real. Like, Mm -hmm. they've done experiments on people with this type of stuff. There's real research that's out there on the effects. And I guess um, it's been reported that these sounds can cause such an immense feeling of panic that people can start to have like delusions that like paranormal things or things that they can't see are attacking them. Like they can oh. get really sick. They can have go into like hysteria. Like
1: that's so scary.
0: Yeah. It can literally drive you mad, like scratch your own eyeballs out type of mad, like insane stuff. <sighs> And to be testing that as, like, a weapon, like, a war weapon. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. This is Soviet Russia.
1: I also saw that they were, um, like, there was talk of, like, orange. Yeah. I have that on. Okay. Yeah. That's okay. the next
0: one. The, okay. U, the UFOs. Okay. The UFOs.
1: See, but no, I, what I saw was that it had to do with something that they were like the military, the military was, yeah was it testing, could be either right it like, really
0: could go into either of those categories but this i think this one um i don't know what it is i don't know if it's the military testing thing or i don't know if it's aliens i have no fucking idea i definitely believe in aliens but i don't know which one it would be but what i do know is that i believe this is the most I don't know, has the most evidence behind it, I Mm -hmm. guess. So, like I was saying earlier, there was another group of hikers out there. They were only about 30 miles south of this group during the time. And that group of hikers reported seeing strange orange spheres Mm -hmm. in the sky to the north of them. And similar spheres were observed in surrounding areas continually during the period from like January until the end of March in 1959 by multiple different people like meteorologists and even the military mm-hmm. confirmed seeing these things. Some of the local Mansi people had also seen them and they had even drawn pictures of what they saw. Literally all of these people described them in the same way. These orange pulsating spheres. They were moving north to south in a claw, a Clog. Yeah, a cloud of fog. (laughs) just going to combine words, make it easier. Just call me Kevin. So, (laughs) um, they're moving north to south in a cloud of fog and always early in the morning when it was still dark outside. These sightings were not noted in the investigation at all. Another man came forward about 30 years later, and he admitted that the investigation team at the time had no explanation. For what happened to these hikers he also said that after his team reported these flying spheres he received direct orders from a high ranking official uh-huh. to dismiss these claims and he's also said that he was actually forced to take any reference to these flying orbs out of his reports he himself even said that he believes and still Like, still to this day, he believes that those orange spheres had a direct connection with the death of the hikers. He doesn't know what they are. Right. But he thinks that that has something to do with it.
1: Yeah. I mean, to be that secretive about it. Yeah. And to have so many people, like, confirm that, yes, they were.
0: Yeah. Just a few more things that I think are interesting and important is in 2008, the surviving members of the original search party came back together to look over all of the evidence and try to come to some type of conclusion. The group was run by six people and um, six people that were like the rescuers and 31 technical experts. Their conclusion was that the deaths were likely the unintended result of a secret military test. Uh-huh. So they looked over all of this evidence, everything that was compiled together, and that's the conclusion they came to. Another thing is at the funerals for these um, hikers, some of the guests were shocked to see that all of the hikers had dark brown, orangish skin and, like, grayish white hair. Like, their hair had no pigment in it at all. Hmm. It was... I don't know what would cause That's this that. Weird. Some of their clothes had high levels of radiation on them, which is just weird to me. Like, why would they even test them for radiation in the first place, unless they had like had suspicion right, that right, right, it was a possibility. Like, like, do you know something we don't?
1: Right. <laughs> That's not my first thing to test yeah. for.
0: Like, they're in the wilderness what is that all about? I don't know. Again, just one of those things. In 2018, Samian's remains were exhumed and they found some kind of contradictory results. One of the experts said that his injuries were, um, I mean, I said this before, but he was the one that They said his injuries were consistent with being struck by a car at full speed. Mm -hmm. So they tested his DNA, which, again, why would you even do that? I don't really know. But they tested it, and it didn't have any similarity to the DNA of his living relatives. Excuse me? Right? Also, his name wasn't even on the list of those who were buried at the cemetery where he was supposed to be but I guess they reconstructed his face from his supposed skull. It was like, who the fuck is this person? I don't know. And it matched photographs of him, so they were satisfied with that. The story doesn't end there, though. The college that the hikers attended, they opened a foundation in 1999 called the Dyatlov Foundation, Over the years, they've stated that their aim is to continue investigating the case and to preserve the memory of the dead hikers. So, even the college is like, "Mm, we don't believe your theories. So, on July 1st, 2016, they placed a memorial plaque in the region and dedicated it to the survivor, Yuri Yudin, Mm -hmm. who, by the way, he passed away in 2013, so he lived a long life. In February of 2021, a group of eight tourists had set out to diatlov pass
1: yes i remember hearing about that
0: so they wanted to do this to kind of pay homage to those nine hikers Mm -hmm. that died back in 1959 so it had almost been like 60 years to the date um and these eight hikers disappeared yep and there's literally been nothing on it since
1: I was trying to look that up today.
0: Yeah, so I remember when this happened, I literally, like, hopped on TikTok. I was like, holy shit. Because I I've known about the Olive Pass for a while. Right, right. So as soon as I heard they were missing, I was like, oh my god, like, I need to tell the world. Yeah. And so I posted it, and then I was like, yeah, I'll make sure to, like, keep everybody updated. No update. (laughs) I looked for months and months and months. Nothing. There's literally... The only update I've ever come across is from a website that isn't even a news source. And there's no explanation to what happened. But they just report like, yeah, they came back the next day. And that's it. That's the end of the story. What? Absolutely not. I don't believe it for a second. (sighs)
1: So sketchy. So they went missing, but then they just came back the next day. So it was fine.
0: Is that what? Yeah, but this is literally one source of information on the entire interweb. And it's not even a news. It's from all that's interesting. It's not even a news source. And there's no, they didn't explain it. There's no explaining it away at all. They're just like, yep, they're fine. They came back.
1: woof do. doo What? Uh, just doesn't make sense to me. I'm like determined because I was I'm I literally sleep banking looked... on you telling me because I
0: couldn't. Find <laughs> I out. looked all day. I seriously, I have no idea. I'm just as clueless as you are, friend. But yeah, that's 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 all I got for you. It's such a disappointing, such a
1: disappointing end because I just want answers. That's right and like especially with the eight that recently yeah went missing. Like why is there not why are there no updates why is it so hard to find anything about it
0: i know the only thing i find is that they went missing that's it like did they really come back and they're like oh no need to update there's nothing spooky here so they just didn't uh, like what no i feel like you still
1: i mean i feel like the news you bite on everything you, yeah yeah uh, i don't i don't believe that man I really don't. if anyone knows anything Yeah, send
0: me some links, please. I'm over here, like, I can't sleep at night. I'm worried about these guys. It's been years. I mean, this was back in, what, 2021? Oh, my gosh. February 2021, yeah. It's been two years.
1: Wow. Has anybody
0: heard from them? Are they okay? Anyways, um, I do just want to caution people. If they plan on looking into this case, you'll probably see some post-mortem pictures so just scroll responsibly you know if that's not something you want to be traumatized by
1: yeah um know yourself well enough to know what you should look at and what you shouldn't yeah so
0: don't go clicking around sporadically think about your decisions
1: and maybe like don't have your children around
0: oh absolutely not don't (sighs) let them listen to us either (laughs) it's a bad bad idea bad influences
1: 15, 16, they can maybe start. I don't know. Maybe. I don't
0: know. Depends. <laughs> I feel like 15, 16 year old me would have been far past. <laughs> so far gone by that point. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. <sighs> well, that's that's the out pass for you. That is all I've got.
1: Gosh, I really want to know.
0: I hope When we die, we get the answers to everything. That's heaven for me. Yeah. Like, can you sit me down in front of a big screen and just play what happened?
1: Yeah. Let me know.
0: Well, thanks for joining us again. As always, we'll be here next week.
1: Right? Peace and blessings. (laughs)
0: Peace. (laughs) You just unlocked a memory I didn't even know I had. Um... That's not how we end this, <laughs> <laughs> ma'am. Don't you have the
1: script? I'm just kidding. Uh, no. No, you literally I don't. Literally don't. <laughs> I've got nothing.
0: Well, I hope everybody has a lovely, wonderful, spooky week. Actually, no. I hope it's not spooky. I hope
1: it's just lovely
0: and it's wonderful.
1: Just, yeah, whatever, whatever you want. Manifest. I hope, it. I hope
0: your life is everything you've ever dreamed of. And I hope you'll be back next week because we will miss you. Terribly. And we'll be here. (laughs) All right. Remember to always keep Keep it spooky. spooky.